All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. But if you put hormones in a body that is super toxic and super inflamed, you don't have good nutrition or a good circadian rhythm, you won't get the results you need. And you may, in fact, feel worse. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 230 of the Biohacker Babes. I'll be your co-host today. I'm Renee Bells, along with my sister, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hello, everyone. Tuning in from New York City today. and so happy to be here. Here. <laughs> All right. We have a friend coming on for you today. We have Dr. Tim Jackson. We had the honor of being on his podcast late last year, the Boss Body Podcast. Um, he is just up to some really, really cool stuff. He is quite the biohacker. Definitely, I would say, check out his podcast. Check out his Instagram. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. But this is a really fun episode because... We covered some really interesting new biohacks, um, things that I think we're going to hear more about in 2024, to be honest. So talking about the vagus nerve, and Lauren, you even said hashtag vagus nerve for 2024. We're going to see that a lot this year. So we talk about that vagus nerve stimulation. He's had some really good success with some gadgets there. Mitochondrial health, methylene blue, we get into nicotine. So lots of fun things that we're all trying, even photobiomodulation, but uh yeah, it was super fun to chat with him. Yeah. What I love the most is that Dr. Tim can really zoom in very close and have a very nuanced and scientific discussion, but he very easily can zoom out and share the wide perspective 
about the foundational practices. So as we go through the, this episode, if it does feel a little overwhelming or too scientific, wait a few moments because we'll keep zooming out. So there's always like these rabbit holes and paths that we can kind of spiral down, but then we're always going to bring it back home to what you really need to be doing day in, day out. But he's so fun. He he has such a wealth of knowledge, but he also likes to keep things super light. He's a super fun guy. So I think you're going to like this one. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun. And I think, Lauren, we both went for a walk immediately after we recorded the podcast because we were like, we got to walk and get some sunshine in. So I think you will too after this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So Dr. Tim Jackson is a doctor of physical therapy and orthopedic rehabilitation and a functional medicine provider. He holds a BS degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University. He serves clients in over 15 countries through his telehealth practice at healyourbody.org and has helped thousands over the last eight years. Dr. Jackson is the creator of the Heal Your Hormones Bootcamp for neurosurgeon Dr. Jack Cruz's membership community and has contributed to the book Diagnostic Testing and Functional Medicine by Amir Rosek. He has been featured in the Huffington Post, the Bulletproof Executive, and Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast. He has presented to the Silicon Valley Health Institute and the Indian Association of Functional Medicine. Dr. Tim hosts the Boss Body Podcast. He also serves on the Medical Advisory Board for Wellness Mama, a site with several million annual visitors. All right, let's jump into this fun episode. Hey, biohacker friends, before we dive into this episode, I just wanted to tell you real quick about a really exciting event coming up March 7th and 8th in LA. It's called Biohack Your Beauty. I will be there live. It's going to be an amazing two-day event. They are really combining aesthetics, biohacking, and holistic medicine all under one roof. So uh, I'll put more information in the show notes for today's episode so you can check that out, as well as a couple different discount codes. We have Early Bird. We have Family and Friends. Lots of great options. So go ahead and scroll down and grab your ticket today and hope to see you there. All right. Welcome, Dr. Tim, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Lauren and Renee, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, excited for this one. We had the pleasure of being on your podcast a couple months ago, the Boss Body Podcast. We had a great time chatting, and now we get to reverse roles. We get to pick your brain today. So, Dr. Tim, you've been in the space a long time. You've been a biohacker doing some really cool stuff in holistic health, alternative medicine. So um, we're going to pick your brain on a lot of things today, but we wanted to try and narrow in on women's health hormones. This is a big topic. We're getting a lot of questions from our listeners about this today. And there's a lot of root causes. We were chatting about this a little bit before we hit record. And so we want to get to like, what do women need to know about their hormone health and dysfunction and where they can start maybe before they jump into bioidentical, some other options. So I think to kick us off, if you can maybe pick, what would you think, what would you say is the biggest hidden root cause of hormone dysfunction in women today? Chronic inflammation, which, so that begs the question, okay, well, what's causing the chronic inflammation? And in my experience, it's really just one thing. It's a multitude of things outside of trauma situations and acute care situations. So anything from gut dysbiosis to stealth pathogens we were discussing earlier, uh, creating inflammation. And now the phrase cytokine storm is kind of popular from the past three or four years. So that can create inflammation and derail your hormones. Ultimately, we're looking at cortisol and insulin that kind of do this intricate dance. And if we're creating chronic inflammation, we're raising cortisol, which will uh, raise blood sugar. And then our body produces insulin to try and lower it. And so insulin resistance 
the more insulin sensitive you are, the healthier you're going to be, not just metabolically, but also cognitively. So things like Alzheimer's are colloquially referred to as type three diabetes. So basically insulin resistance in the brain. And one of the most common causes of that are something called lipopolysaccharides, little portions of the cell wall from gram-negative bacteria in the gut from some of the bad guys. And they create systemic inflammation, but they can also punch holes into the blood-brain barrier and lead to insulin resistance there. So when we talk about hormones in general, if you want to balance your hormones as a whole, looking at you know lifestyle, environment, mindset, nutrition, and decreasing inflammation. So we want to balance out, you know, cortisol and blood sugar first, and as well as insulin, and then look at the sex hormones afterwards. Um, and just to give you an example, if you jump to say prescribing thyroid, let's just say armor thyroid for someone who has low cortisol, oftentimes they will have to experience heart palpitations. And so I used to work in a practice where one of the providers just handed out armor thyroid like candy to everyone. And people would be on three up to four grains of armor. And then when I would see them, they would be like, oh, well, I'm having heart palpitations. My resting heart rate is like 130. Like, well, yeah, that's a problem. So yeah, to answer your question, inflammation, before we jump to hormones, you know, hormones are are sexy, right? And and they're anti-aging. So people want to jump to those. But if you put hormones in a body that is super toxic and super inflamed, you don't have good nutrition or a good circadian rhythm, you won't get the results you need. And you may, in fact, feel worse. Yeah, I agree. And there's so many lifestyle things that contribute to that. And you're right. The hormones are so downstream. So I feel like we could just talk about inflammation for this entire podcast, but Mm -hmm. such a big topic. And you mentioned LPS, which may be a new term for a lot of our audience. I would love to dig into that. I think LPS is fascinating because it's, it is the actual compound they use in mouse models to test for drugs for Alzheimer's, neurodegenerative conditions, like a lot of our chronic diseases, they're injecting it because that is the thing that drives chronic inflammation. Yet not a lot of us are talking about it, understand it. It's I don't think it's largely being talked about in the functional medicine space. So if that is like so clearly being used in research, what do we need to know about it as consumers and health advocates? Yes. Yeah, so gut health, a lot of people, they know gut health is important, but they may not know the exact details as to why. So let's just take the cardiovascular system and cardiometabolic dysfunction. So lipopolysaccharides, I wrote an article back in 2013 or 2014 for Huffington Post called Five Reasons You Can't Lose Weight. And I cited all these references talking about how inflammatory cytokines, which are just cell signaling molecules for the listeners, um, release in response to inflammation, but they damage insulin receptors. And so if you damage insulin receptors, you're not going to be able to balance blood sugar. And therefore your body composition won't be what you want it to be. So gut health, it plays a role in terms of how we process our macro and micronutrients, but also in terms of releasing certain things into systemic circulation. And one of those inflammatory compounds is LPS or lipopolysaccharides. And you're exactly right about uh, it causing massive inflammation. In fact, there used to be a test from a functional medicine lab 
hasn't been available for five or six years, but with a stimulated cytokine test. And what they would do is put the cells in a petri dish and then infuse the inflammatory cytokines to look for their reaction. So right there, if they're using it for that test to see, you know, how much inflammation can be produced, imagine what it's doing in your arteries. Okay. And so it's a major cardiovascular risk factor because remember only 11 to 12% of the cholesterol we ingest through our diet is actually showing up on blood. The rest is produced in response to inflammation. So, you know, there's maybe five to 10 cardiologists in the U.S. who look at gut health and things like stealth pathogens, but the lipopolysaccharides, they can create everything from brain fog to uh, insomnia to metabolic dysfunction and even joint pain. Mm. So if someone is interested in optimizing their hormones, now you mentioned starting with like cortisol, blood sugar, would you start with some kind of testing? Do you do the Dutch? Do you do a CGM? Like, where do we get started? Yeah. So I, you know, if cost is an issue, I would tell people, let's do the Dutch test first. And so, you know, if let's say someone's cortisol comes back as really low across the board. Well, so that means at some point it was high, right? And then it dropped to low because, you know, the glands get exhausted for lack of a better term. But um, we don't know what's causing it to be high or low. And again, it, it's never just one thing, but, you know, the gut dysbiosis, um, not going to bed on time, not getting morning sunlight, non-native EMFs, you know, too much simple sugars, or simple carbohydrates, uh, not enough exercise or resistance training, uh, stress of any kind, stealth pathogens, mold toxicity, since that creates massive inflammation. I would start there. and. If someone has imbalances in the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, we need to support it in order for the person to achieve optimal wellness. Now, it's not optimal to need to support it constantly, like for the rest of your life. But the reality is we live in a world where we're exposed to toxins and stressors every day, more than our ancestors could have ever had. And so I think a little support long-term is warranted. I don't think you need to be on 97 supplements a day to support your cortisol levels. But if they're already in balance, we do need to address those. And then we have to put our detective hat on and look at your composition of your gut microbiome. So do you have any pathogenic bacteria? Do you have an insufficiency dysbiosis where you don't have enough of the good guys? Are you not producing enough stomach acid? So the pH changes the behavior of the bugs. A lot of bacteria, they're not inherently good or bad, but their behavior changes based on the pH. Are you not absorbing fats? So if we're not absorbing the fats we eat, they're going to sit around and putrefy, and then the pathogens are going to feed on those. So Dr. Klinghart, Dietrich Klinghart has a saying, if you're not feeding ourselves, we're feeding the bad bugs. Mm -hmm. what, Love what kind Dr. Of, Klinghart. Yeah. What kind of gut tests are you talking about? Is there a specific one? That looks at all so I, there's a couple I like, uh, GI map, they all have pluses and minuses. Um, I like the GI map and then the biome FX is also pretty good. Um, the ones that I typically don't like are the culture-based tests and people get upset when I say this, but the reality is you can't culture an anaerobic microbe in an aerobic environment. 
So it leads to a lot of false negatives. And I know a lot of people still use them, but just because a lab offers a test doesn't mean it's you know legitimate and accurate, sensitive and specific. And so, um, yeah, I, I think the GI map, it can give you an idea of inflammation in the gut lining. And now it can also tell us about species or a genus and species like Acromantia mucinophila, which we know plays a major role in metabolic health. So uh, I know plenty of people who've optimized their body composition and gotten into single digit body fats, not by taking um, body fat reducing supplements or fat loss supplements or stimulants, things like that, but by optimizing, decreasing their inflammation and optimizing the uh, composition of their microbiome. Yeah. I think it all comes back to the gut. And I agree. I think the GI map is Awesome. I mean, they're all kind of flawed, but it's the best technology that we have at the time. But I do like that GI map has the clinical biomarkers of GI inflammation and digestion because most people do have compromised digestion, right? Like you mentioned stomach acid already, and that's something we can get from blood chemistry. But if we're going to kind of circle back to chronic inflammation and maybe LPS circulating in places where it shouldn't be, potentially the root cause driver is a leaky dysbiotic gut. So how do we even get there? Like, how do we really simplify this for people so they're not like, oh my God, I have to go out and do all the tests and I have to live in a box. How are we getting this leaky dysbiotic gut by living in the world that we live in today in the first place? So stress, stress, and stress, but you know, let's (laughs) define stress. In priority. Yeah, exactly. So you, I mean, you can be a multimillionaire and spend your days on the beach drinking those little drinks with the umbrellas in them, uh, whatever they're called. And still be stressed (laughs) because your internal physiology is awry, right? And so cortisol goes up. Cortisol will thin the lining of the gut. And the gut lining, we know that there's only one cell layer of thickness that separates us from the external environment, right? Because remember, our um, GI tract is outside of us technically. So, um, yeah, I I would say that uh, we get there to the leaky gut part. By stress because it thins the gut lining and it lowers the guardian of that gut lining called secretory IgA. And we have secretory IgA not just in our gut, but in our nasal cavity, um, lots of other places. And it's our first line of defense. And cortisol will lower that. Candida yeast can also lower that. It basically chops it in half like an axe. And so that lowers our immune defenses. And so the gut can also get leaky from eating the same foods over and over. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm very bad about this. I have to work very hard at it. Um, I tend to find foods that I like um, because it's not, you know, all that easy, at least where I am, finding the healthiest food. So when I do, I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat it over and over and over and over and over. But then that creates a sensitivity because your immune system does a great job at learning, but a terrible job at unlearning, Right. And Mm -hmm. so if you look from, okay, let's say I ate a food right now, it's going to take about four days for my body to fully process and excrete that out. And so um, with all that being said, you can have great gut flora um, and very little uh, stress in your life. But if you experience a stressful event, the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, et cetera, then that will create a dysbiotic and leaky gut. But if we can recover from that stress, then the gut can also recover. The problem is most of us live in a state of chronic triggers, chronic stress triggers. So 
I don't know. How else can we help people not be stressed? It's like easier said yeah. than done. <laughs> we so get stressed they, talking about stress. <laughs> exactly. There's so um, many ways to go about it. But one thing, and I think I mentioned this to you, both of you, is the Hulis device. So it's a way to stimulate the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is our 10th cranial nerve, but it's the easiest access point to our parasympathetic nervous system, right? And so if we can stimulate that, and the way I know it's working is every time after I use it, I typically have a bowel movement. So I'm in the rest and digest portion of my nervous system, right? And the Hulis, uh, I got it about three, maybe three and a half months ago. And you literally take it out of the box, put the little silicone gel in it, and you apply it right here to access the vagus nerve. And it also has settings to access other nerves, but the main reason I got it was for the vagus. And the vagus activates something called the anti-inflammatory reflex. So the vagus nerve is lined with receptors for acetylcholine. So if our acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter, um, and any movement that we do, whether it's contracting my biceps or walking in a straight line or jogging, that requires acetylcholine. Um, but acetylcholine is also required for the anti-inflammatory reflex. And that's one reason why, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but coming off of benzodiazepines is very difficult because it lowers acetylcholine. So then you have glutamate high, GABA low. And then the anti-inflammatory reflex is essentially turned off. So you get massive inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so the best ways, you know, the Hulist device, I don't have any connection to them. And it's H-O-O-L-E-S-T. Um, it, it's worked really well. And I've tried many devices. Uh, cold face plunges. So I don't expect everyone to go out and buy a cold plunge tub. But, you know, there's many really good instructional videos on YouTube about how and the proper um, technique to use for the cold face plunges. And according to my friends who do dermatology, it's supposed to be really good for your skin. Um, as a side note, make sure it's filtered water and you know not full of a bunch of drugs and metals and fluoride and things like that. But that can help um, modulate your autonomic nervous system and put you in more of that rest and digest state. And so I, of course, I still take supplements. Um, and probably a lot more than the average person because I know the consequences of not doing so. But if I can get a device or have a technique that I only have to purchase once and I can use it over and over again for 15 years or whatever, 20 years, then I, I like that route. And it's something, you know, it's very small. It fits in your pocket. I don't have it up here on my desk. People can carry it with them. You know, if you're afraid of what people might think, you can, you know, when you go in your coffee break or your bathroom break because you literally only need to do it for one and a half to three minutes and you'll feel more relaxed. Um, I, I don't track my deep sleep currently, but I feel more rested when I wake up. So I think the vagus nerve, when we look at activating that and getting into more of a parasympathetic tone, a lot of people don't even realize how sympathetic fight or flight dominant they are until they start to come out of it. Um, mm -hmm. there's a technique yeah. called alpha biotics and I don't fully understand the mechanism of it, but I've had it done probably nine or 10 times. And I have a colleague who's trained in it. It's basically, it looks like they're going to adjust your neck that they're, they don't, it's just certain specific stretches and then combining that with breath work 
And my colleague said, Dr. Tim, I'm going to tell you right now, I know how you are. I know you're very type A. When you get home, you're going to be tired. Your body's going to tell you to take a nap. I know you're going to fight it. Don't fight it. And she was exactly right. I went home because I haven't taken a nap in probably several years. Um, but when I had it done, I slept that day for like an hour and a half. You wow. needed it. Yeah, perhaps. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Don't okay. I love that. I like that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Do you, so do you think um, with any kind of like vagus nerve stimulator, I know we've talked about a couple of different brands. Do you think, is there any potential harm that someone could do by using one of these? Or is it something pretty much anyone could test out? For So there's some CYA stuff in, in the literature and the booklets that come with it. Um, you okay. know, if you have, if you just had a heart attack or stroke, if you have any implanted metal, um, I have metal in my jaw from jaw surgery, but hasn't negatively impacted me. Um, so that's the only thing I would say that's a potential um, cautionary measure. Or if you have epilepsy, you know, mm-hmm. potentially it, that could trigger it. But for the most part, I mean, if you look at people um, who are doing the implanted um, vagus nerve stimulators, they're curing crazy stuff like MS, Parkinson's, RA. Now, I'm not saying people should go out and get something implanted because that's pretty extreme. But the point being, if we can access the vagus nerve, it has tremendous power. Yeah, I was going to ask you on your opinion of the efficacy from the handheld consumer device versus implantation. Because, yeah, I think not many people are going to run out and get that surgical intervention. And how does that work when it's implanted? Does it work 24-7 or, like, periodically? I don't know how that I think there's different ways to set it. And, you know, depending on the device, you can maybe have it remotely turned on. Like, the doctor may do it or set it to come on every, I'm making this up, 30 minutes or every hour, you know, for two minutes to help. But the issue becomes the same issue that dentists see. Well, dentists like Dr. Gene Sambataro, he recognizes that when you put metal or foreign body in your mouth, you have to test the patient's immune system to see if it's compatible. And there's mm-hmm. a good test. There's several, but one's called the Clifford Dental Materials Test, compatibility test. And, you know, anyone with two neurons holding hands knows that, hey, if we're going to put a foreign body in, we can't create a constant fight or flight response. And so you can, there's a ways after that, if it's already happened, to train your immune system. But you want to always look at the compatibility of the body. So when I used to do orthopedics and I would get patients who had had, say, a total knee replacement. Yeah, part of it was mechanical and structural, but I know a lot of it was inflammation related. And that inflammation was likely due to huge spikes in cytokines and cortisol. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a really cool option. I'm just like revisiting the notes because I remember learning about this. Like it is appro- FDA approved for epilepsy and for depression. You insert it in a different place according to which one you're trying to trigger. But I think it is a last resort option. And also mm. when we have solutions like that, people are still going to be motivated to jump to the solution rather than looking at, you know, the lifestyle root causes again. So maybe you get this, but you're still not optimizing your stress response or still eating the foods that you're sensitive to, or just eating the same five to six foods that you're comfortable with, right. To reduce decision fatigue. So what else do we need to look at maybe in the diet or environment? Yeah. So anything that causes a deviation away from homeostasis, right? So homeostasis, we know to be a state of balance. So we can be in an anabolic state, 
homeostatic state or catabolic state. Um, we want to strive for either homeostasis or anabolic state. But as you know, if we're working out, depending on whether or not we're supplementing with amino acids, we may briefly go into a catabolic state. And then afterwards is when our body repairs and protein synthesis occurs and things of that nature. But looking at things like EMFs, right? Ultimately, our bodies, the biochemistry is largely governed by voltage. And so if the voltage at the cell membrane is altered, nutrients can't get in and toxins can't get out. Many, many, in fact, most of your cellular processes are thrown off, right? And so if you think of pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, that's a positive environmental input in terms of voltage. But 5G, uh, wireless routers, those are negative inputs. So they're negatively impacting the system. And so when we talk about doing things that can affect a whole lot of other things downstream, optimizing your voltage. And that's why if you look at like Gary Brecka and Grant Cardone in the 10 times health system, so they have three primary modalities. And the first one is PEMF because it primes the cells to receive the other therapies. But then when they do exercise with oxygen therapy, well, the oxygen can get utilized in the electron transport chain and oxidative phosphorylation. Oh, the red light therapy can be utilized. So I know our mutual colleague, Dr. John Lawrence, he talks about combining red light therapy with methylene blue because, you know, the methylene blue works on complex one through three. The red light therapy works on complex four, which is cytochrome C oxidase. Sorry if I'm getting a little too scientific, but you know, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. I didn't so, know that. That's great. Yeah. So if you combine those two, you can get an even better response. So anything that can positively influence voltage, and it doesn't have to be a PEMF machine. Let's say you don't have the funds for one right now, grounding, right? Walking barefoot outside. And, you know, if you're in an area where it's snowing, then, you know, you can get a grounding mat, things of that nature. And so I sleep with uh, what's called a magnetico pad underneath my mattress. It's a 10 gauss and it's meant to uh, mimic the Schumann resonance of the earth to a degree. And so it's basically adding electrons to the body, essentially. Hmm. Is that, that's not like a sheet. It's just like a pad that goes under your it's sheet? It's heavy. It, it took okay. my dad and me to carry it upstairs. Um, oh, wow. They were, yeah. <laughs> it, it was like 1400 bucks. But it, it was worth it. I got it back in like 2015, I think. And uh, it goes underneath your mattress. And so, you know, I noticed the difference was pretty subtle at first, like just better mood and then kind of more resilient. And, you know, obviously, if you can optimize your airway health and sleep on something like a Magnetico or a grounding pad, then that's going to help optimize your health, you know, upstream mm -hmm. the issues yeah. you're yeah, I mean, I think anything you can do to optimize that the time you're in bed, because I've also heard that we're more sensitive to EMFs when we're sleeping. I don't know if that's true with like what's going on with the lymphatic system, but yeah, I think you want to do that. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. And I think also, you know, uh, the deep sleep, right? So the more EMFs we're exposed to, the less deep sleep we can get, and then the less capable we are of detoxifying, and the more metals you know, and mycotoxins from mold that we have, the more sensitive our bodies will be to EMFs. It's basically mm -hmm. turning our bodies into a large antenna. And Dr. Klinghart talks about when mold and mycotoxins 
since EMF fields, they increased their production of mycotoxins 600 fold. Okay. So what else can we be doing (laughs) about that? Turning off the Wi-Fi router at night, no cell phone in the bedroom. What else should we be doing? Yeah. So uh, I would say distance is a big thing, right? So the inverse square law, the further my phone is from me, no matter what setting I have it on, the better and healthier it's going to be for me. But also you can buy a tri-field meter um, and some of the other meters available on Amazon and online to test if the wiring, the electricity in your home may be too concentrated in an area. So it's not always 5G and Wi-Fi routers. It could be a wiring issue. You know, when they build most homes, because they can get away with stuff, you know, they put up the framework and it's getting rained on right away. So you already have a structure that's conducive to mold growth. And then if they take shortcuts with the wiring, it might be super concentrated in one area and then you have humidity issues, but then you have a disaster. So things that you can do, um, there are grounding bags. Um, I interviewed a guy who's an EMF expert, Justin Franson. It's called Athleticism Neurostacking and EMF Rocks. And he sent me one um, and it's amethyst crystals. And he has, I think, like 18 different doctors across the U.S. promoting it who've tested their own sleep um, with it. And one of the MDs said he experienced, I think, a 40% increase in deep sleep. Wow. With the, the EMF thing, rocks? Is that possible? What yeah. was his deep sleep before? One minute? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, 40%? So I, I know. Well, I, I had something similar happen, too. And I don't think you'll mind me mentioning it because he has a testimonial on my website. But um, Nick Penalt, the EMF guy, we were able to um, double his deep sleep close to double by decreasing his viral load because Mm. with viruses, it's going to activate the microglial cells from the inflammation. And then that's going to cause insomnia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Back at inflammation. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. There are also, um, you ladies have probably heard of lamb's clothing. I think Justin Timberlake is a spokesperson for them. Oh, he is. I was wearing the hat this morning. I feel closer to him already. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 99% sure. I'll have to double check, but I know I saw it more than once, unless it was his doppelganger. But uh, basically, yeah, the Lance clothing, it's made out of the same stuff as a NASA astronaut suit. And they, you know, they make hats, pants. I think they make sports bras for women. And that's the other thing. We travel with the clothing. I won't, I really try not to go to the airport without a shirt on. Yeah, I yeah. have the, with a la- sorry without a lamb shirt on. Not just, <laughs> who's the naked lady at the airport? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I have the lamb's hoodie and the hat, and I feel protected with that. But I actually, I had someone message me on Instagram, and they said, "You know that could be making it worse." I've heard what that from your, several people. What are your thoughts on that comment? Yeah, so I had for my phone. I don't use it anymore, but Ben Greenfield recommended a Defender Shield case. And then when I interviewed, I was talking to Nick Penault. He said, sometimes the cell phone will sense that the signal is not as strong and it will ramp up production of the signal in an effort to better communicate with the tower. Yeah. Yeah. Try is harder. So, and, And so that's where, you know, Justin's approach differs a little. So 
you know, his idea is that, you know, you're never going to be able to block all the EMS that you should. So let's try to take two waves that are incoherent and make them into a coherent wave. And theoretically, supposedly, that's what the EMF rocks and the amethyst crystals do. Okay. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. heard that idea. And circling back to what you said about the viral load, that's really interesting about the impact on deep sleep. Tell me all the things about viruses. What else do I need to know and do? Is there anything you can share that you helped him with to decrease that? It, it, does it depend on the virus? Is it overall any virus kind of the same deal? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're not doing the basics, like getting morning sunlight, going to bed on time, then, you know, you would need to optimize those things. Avoiding, you know, simple sugars, um, getting enough protein and healthy fats. Those are some of the really simple things you can do. But in general, optimizing immune function, starting with getting the lymphatic system moving. And I do that um, with a vibration plate. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll do dry skin brushing. But that's kind of like the information superhighway for our immune system. And so we want to keep that moving. A lot of people have symptoms that uh, aren't going away. And you never want to kill off more than you can detoxify. And so if that garbage disposal system is already clogged, you don't want to go adding to it. You want to sort of mobilize it first. Um, But we also used a product called Carnivora. It's from the Venus flytrap plant. And it has antiviral, antifungal, and antibacterial properties, along with some immune modulating nutrients. And that, you know, over time was able to lower his viral load and a lot of people's viral loads. And I feel stronger, like physically stronger in the gym when I'm taking it. And so it's the immune modulation um, to, to lower the viral load. And then there's a new, well, it's new to me. I haven't used it yet, but it supposedly activates all 48 to 49 nuclear receptors. And it's called metoxidol. I think it's M or metoxidol. It's M-E-T-A-D-I-C-H-O-L. And it's supposed to take, so a lot of pathogens bind to the vitamin D receptor, the BDR, and then it blocks vitamin D from binding there. Supposedly, this product kicks those pathogens off that receptor. And so it's kind of, instead of focusing on one area, it's kind of looking at the system as a whole and more so the terrain. Mm. Mm. Okay, I have to look that one up. Yeah, that's a new one. So um, I, gu- I guess who should be looking into that? Is it for everyone? Are there any contraindications? I think that's such an interesting topic because we can look at vitamin D on a lab test and see it's low and then just say like, let's supplement with vitamin D rather than being curious about the inflammation that's driving it down. Who is right. that for? Yeah, so I d- I'm not aware of any contraindications. Now, I know if you do have a high pathogen load, you want to start slowly because of her timer type reactions. But with vitamin D, you know, a lot of times we only check the 25 hydroxy, Mm -hmm. but if the 25 hydroxy is low, many times the one comma 25 hydroxy will be elevated because they're hyper converting 25 hydroxy into the one comma 25 hydroxy. And that's Mm -hmm. why people can feel worse on vitamin D. Well, other things that can lead to low vitamin D on a lab test, low magnesium, low boron. And so all those things factor in. And, you know, we also need to keep in mind, you don't want to take D3 without K2. I tell people try to get morning sun. Yes, we're getting vitamin D from it, 
but we're getting so much more from the photons, um, the red lights, the mitochondrial improvements, the hormonal inputs, all of those are super important. But I just learned uh, a couple of weeks ago about the metoxidol, and it, it sounds promising. Uh, apparently, it's been out since like 2015 or 2016, but I, for some reason, I hadn't heard of it until recently. And so, you know, that can certainly help. Um, but in terms of optimizing overall the terrain, we want to look at body temperature as well. And body temperature, you know, we immediately think thyroid, and, and that's oftentimes the case, you know, whether it's elevated thyroid antibodies or low free T3, um, you know, for every, I think it's three tenths of a degree, um, our body temperature goes down from 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. The decrease in immune function is like 20% or something. It, mm. it, it's a crazy number. And wow. so that's why if you think about a lot of the European clinics where they use hyperthermia treatments where you're partially anesthetized because they take you up to around 106 degrees Fahrenheit, that is essentially what we're doing. Because when you get in the sauna and you feel better, part of it, yeah, you're detoxifying, but you're also increasing your immune function, your natural killer cell levels, and you're playing whack-a-mole with the bugs. And so when our core body temperature is low, you know, my mentor, one of my mentors used to say, you can't kill your way to health. And what he meant by that is, you know, at some point you have to look at the terrain. Yeah. So like, should our body temperature be 98.6? So it'll like deviate slightly, you know, for females, it's going to deviate based on your cycle. Um, right. But yeah, you know, if you go to a traditional allopathic doctor or provider, you know, let's say your temperature is 98.1, they're going to say, good job. Everything looks great. But that, that's simply not the case. It's kind of like oxygen saturation, right? They might say, oh, well, your levels didn't drop below 94. Well, so, uh, our cellular level hypoxia is the cause of a lot of disease. You know, going from 94 to 99 can be the difference between a good quality of life and a really poor quality of life. Oh, and yeah. so I tell people, you know, look at things like gut health because a lot of your T4 inactive thyroid hormone is converted into T3 in the gut. And so if you have something like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, if it's the hydrogen dominant variant, that can downregulate body temperature. And so it can be other things besides the thyroid and even improving um, mitochondrial health will help because you got more ATP, um, you're going to have more energy to go around and, and work on all these physiological reactions. Okay. Great. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about mitochondria. Did, did you have something else, Renee? No, I'm just like mind blown about this temperature thing. I've never heard anyone really talk about it in that way. Cause like I, my, like my first half of my cycle, it's like 96.5. And then the second half is like 97.5. So for me, like a fever is like 98.9. That's like a yes. fever for me. So yeah. I've never really talked, heard anyone talk about this. Yeah, it's a great point because a lot of times, you know, so when my body temperature used to be really low, I would go and I, I could tell, I mean, I was sitting in the air-conditioned room and I would have sweat dripping down my forehead, but then I would go to, you know, urgent care or somewhere and they'd be like, oh, you don't have a fever? I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. My baseline temperature is like 96. So 97.4 is a fever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
But yeah, yeah it's extremely important because the the principle is this, and it's really simple. But there are only two ways to change the function of a protein: change the temperature or change the pH. So if we change the temperature, it's altering the functionality of that protein. Okay. Um, so other than getting the body really hot, like something through sauna, is that the number one strategy? What else would you put in that category? Yeah. So the sauna, things like the biomat or infrared mats, um, can be helpful improving circulation, which the saunas can also do, but also making sure, you know, that you don't have a ton of gut issues like SIBO, which can lower body temperature. And then looking at other um, hormonal markers, like obviously all the thyroid markers, but also testosterone. So testosterone can cause an increase in body temperature. It uh, impacts, if I remember correctly, steps two and three in the Krebs cycle. So we're going to produce more ATP. And so it'll help not to the extent that thyroid will, but it will help somewhat to raise your body temperature. And so doing that, and then um, the cell danger response, not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but basically our mitochondria can be in one of two states and it's produce ATP and have optimal health or the cell danger response, which is telling us that we're under some sort of threat or stressor. And that can be literally anything from mold to metals, to pathogens, to psychological stress. And Ari Wenton and I talked about this when I interviewed him, but the cell danger response becomes active within three to five minutes of experiencing a major psychological stressor. And it doesn't have to be like a car accident. It could just be you got in an argument with a significant other or relative. And so um, when the cell danger response is active, body temperature can also go down. Mm, interesting. Okay. Uh, and so again, I guess the opportunity is make sure you have some recovery or make sure you like take a little pause or a chill out, right? We can't just expect that these triggers are never going to happen. Right. Absolutely. And that's where also, you know, reframing cognitive restructuring, you know, changing the way you perceive things and also some adaptogenic support and things like CBD to calm the, you know, endocannabinoid system, which is going to help on the nervous system. So one thing for the listeners is our nervous system, our immune system, and our endocrine system share a lot of the same receptors. So when one of them is impacted, ultimately all three will be impacted. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are your thoughts on like mitochondrial support supplements? It seems like there's kind of a mixed review on these. Yay, nay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, you, if you don't eliminate, you know, the stressors, especially the psychological stressors, uh, they may not have much benefit to you, or you may think that they just don't work, but even uh, when they do work. So if we look at things like NAD, that's adding um, premium gasoline into the Lamborghini. But if the Lamborghini's engine is broken, it won't work. And that's where methylene blue comes in. So methylene blue helps to rebuild the engines. And so does something called NT factor energy. Um, It's a supplement full of phospholipids and it helps reconstitute fatty acids in the mitochondrial membrane. It's based on the work of a guy named Dr. Garth Nicholson. And he studied people with chronic fatigue syndrome and Gulf War syndrome. And it takes about a year to displace you know, some of the environmental toxins we're exposed to lodge themselves into the mitochondrial membrane. 
So supplementing with MT factor energy, and it's kind of like creatine where you do a loading phase, you know, for one to two months, and then you go on a maintenance dose. Um, so it's not something that's going to hit you like methylene blue or NAD, but I would say the MT factor energy combined with methylene blue. I know you guys spoke with Dr. Larians about the uh, methylene blue, so I won't talk too much about that. That's my favorite. It's one of my favorite topics. So. Yeah, we can go there. <laughs> Actually, I want to know your opinion. I had a friend that just sent me, I need to do a little deeper discovery, sent me a reel of some doctor on Instagram saying, I don't know about methylene blue. It stains your brain and I don't want my brain to be blue. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot out there. I mean, you know, obviously Google is going to filter, you know, most of the helpful results these days. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but the methylene blue, you know, one contraindication is being on an SSRI, right? And so, you know, there may be truth to that. There may not be. Um, I've known people, other doctors who were on a low dose of an SSRI and still took methylene blue. Full disclosure, I'm not promoting that, but I'm just saying it may not be as big of an issue as we think. But it also has... I would agree at low doses. The MAOI is not as risky. Yeah. Absolutely. And it has wonderful antimicrobial properties, right? So I love supplements Mm -hmm. that do multiple things. And, you know, uh, if we look at stealth pathogens like Bartonella, for example, um, which is a code infection that goes with Lyme, it, methylene blue is active against that. And so if we can, you know, knock the pathogen level down and repair our batteries of our cells, then that's a two for one deal. That I'll take mm-hmm. every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Um, I got an IV methylene blue before. Um, and that's, uh, so it can drop. Well, when it's combined with EBU, which is, you know, a type of ozone, um, it can drop blood sugar. And the morning that I got it, I'd eaten a low carb breakfast, you know, eggs and sausage. And I had the EBU combined with methylene blue. I was at my friend's clinic and they're like, oh, get him some crackers, get him some shoes, get the oxygen. I kind of, um, oh, but that was on me. You know, I, I some I'd fruit forgotten. snacks quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but overall, I think the methylene blue is great. I, I do know that there was some discussion um, with Dr. Nathan Bryan about it possibly inhibiting nitric oxide production. And then I think Chris, Dr. Chris Masterjohn came out with a, I think it was a Substack um, or Reddit thread on, you know, the pluses and minuses of methylene blue. So, you know, if you have ischemic heart disease, methylene blue may not be the best. Uh, but I would argue personally that, you know, if I had ischemic heart disease, I would work on getting chelation and vitamin K2 and magnesium supplementing with nitric oxide support and methylene blue, because ultimately the heart is one of the most mitochondrially dense organs that we have. So if we can improve mitochondrial function, we will improve cardiac output, which should be about five liters per minute. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to go take methylene blue after this. Absolutely. (laughs) I love it. Every time that I've been sick, COVID or whatever, jet lag, really just feeling under, that is the thing that brings me back to my baseline quicker than anything else. And you know, you self-reported using... N of one, but I feel amazing. What type of dosing? Um, Renee, actually, you'll know better. I'll do half of a transcription stroke, which is eight milligrams. 
you're talking about true uh just blue or blue canatine just blue just blue yeah it's 16 for one turkey so you're only doing eight which is a very low dose that's well under the therapeutic dose for my body weight right right yeah Yeah. and i'll do a whole i'll either do a whole transcriptions the 16 and i feel same thing it's like one of the few supplements that i immediately feel totally better yeah and then if I do Dr. John's product, I'll just do like a quarter because I think even yeah. a quarter is still like 30 or something. It's, yeah. it's so potent. What do you think right. about um, dissolving it in your cheek, like the buccal trochee versus through the gut? Like I know Dr. John says you got to go through the gut. Do you have any opinion on that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I have some that compounded or got compounded at my friend's compounding pharmacy and I experienced good results with it. Um, you know, the dose isn't nearly as high as what I had IV, obviously, or IV is going to be a lot stronger. But um, I think, you know, it's water soluble. So it, it's going to be well absorbed pretty much anyway. But, you know, if you're experiencing good benefits with the buccal trochee, then I would say I was, it's definitely working because you're bypassing some of the GI tract. I haven't researched this, but my hunch is that it may have some antimicrobial properties on the gut, you know, if there are pathogens mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes yeah. sense to me too. Yeah. yeah. I try to mix it up. It just depends on whether I'm okay with a blue tongue for the day. <laughs> That's how I decide. I'm like, yeah. who am I going to see today? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Sometimes better to yeah. swallow it. But as far as the mitochondrial support supplements, you know, the NT factory energy, um, CoQ10, so uh, a lot of people don't know that CoQ10 is the rate limiting factor in ATP production. So if it's low and you take NAD, which you know can be pretty expensive, you may not notice any benefits. So getting CoQ10 up, it's not as sexy or new age as some of the other stuff, but it's every bit as important, if not more important. Um, I also love molecular hydrogen. I have an aquacure machine. Um, where I breathe the Brown's gas um, and I drink the water, but it's really small. The molecular hydrogen, it can get into the mitochondria. It can repair damage to the mitochondria that's already transpired and it can stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. And again, it's one of those things. I think I paid for this machine like 25 or 2600, but you know, if I was doing the tablets initially and that's costing me like 80 bucks a month. So I could, you know, after a year, I could have just bought a machine those go fast. Yeah. Yeah. And it has so much research on it. Now, most of it's been done in Asian countries because they they're just looking for the truth. It's less influenced. Their research is less influenced by big pharma. Um, And so, you know, they've studied a lot and mine, I have a pair of goggles that connects to my machine. I haven't used them yet, but the guy who came up with my machine, George Wiseman, he wore glasses from the time he was like eight years old until like 60. Uh, and then he did an hour of therapy every day with the goggles on for eight months. And he no longer needs glasses. Cool. <laughs> That's and, a cool biohack. Yeah. Never heard of that. Yeah. The molecular hydrogen. I mean, it wow. has so many uses from exercise recovery to sports performance enhancement. You know, and to be clear, I'm not referring to anabolic steroids when I say performance enhancement. I'm just referring to, you know, doing things with our lifestyle and nutrition that can improve our day-to-day performance. And so the molecular hydrogen, I know of colleagues who used it to get over Lyme. 
to get over COVID because it mitigates those cytokine storms, the inflammatory cascades. Uh, it can be used to help with literally anything that um, is a deviation away from homeostasis. And so whether it's Parkinson's, whether it's, you know, another neurological disorder, cardiovascular disease, because ultimately there's an inflammatory component to almost everything. And so if we can help to mitigate that and improve the functioning of the mitochondria, then our health is going to benefit. Hmm. And oxidative stress, right? Uh, uh, hydrogen acts on the redox pathway, and that's a huge underlying cause of all those things you just mentioned. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the molecular hydrogen, I, I would say that's probably one of my favorites. And then the red light therapy devices as well. And the sauna. So, you know, the sauna, we don't necessarily think of as directly targeting the mitochondria, but if we're getting rid of toxins and we're improving body temperature and improving our immune function, then the mitochondria will serve to benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Supporting the body's natural healing abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great stack. Since we've talked about some novel ingredients, I'm curious about your opinion, especially because you talked about acetylcholine, about nicotine and affecting the nicotinic receptors for uh, supporting the vagus nerve and supporting inflammation. Do you have an opinion or experience with that supplementation? So I know colleagues who microdose with it, and I, I think it could definitely be beneficial. Uh, I think it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis. I know that's not a good answer. But, you know, if you have addiction issues that run your family, things like that, I mean, typically with the low doses that you would be using for brain health and cognition and inflammation, it's not going to run the risk of addiction. It could, but it's unlikely. And so I, I think it has great potential benefits as a nootropic or cognition enhancer. Um, I personally haven't tried it. And so have you ladies tried it? Renee is a big fan of, I'm of nicotine. Right. Yeah. I'm right for, now. Uh, for energy, for chronic fatigue, but also mm -hmm. as a nootropic. But I'm just really curious about its effect on the vagus nerve. And I've learned from my mentor that a, a lot of cigarette smokers actually have vagus nerve and gut dysfunction. That's actually why they're drawn to the nicotine, because it serves as a kind of a pacifier for the vagus nerve. Obviously, yeah, that's not so a clean source. We can get cleaner nicotine in much lower doses. Right. Like oh, yeah. Lucy, the Lucy gum. Yeah, this is only yeah. four, four milligrams versus a cigarette is like 12 milligrams along okay. with all the other toxins. Well, it, does it keep you up if you do it too late in the day? It does. Yeah. It metabolizes so quickly. So okay. I, I really like it for like if after dinner, you know, eat dinner at like six, if after dinner I got to sit down and get some work done, like about an hour of work, I'll pop a piece of the four milligram nicotine gum and I can knock everything out and then I'm still in bed at 10 and I fall asleep fine. And then okay. I also like it as like an alcohol alternative. If I'm out mm -hmm. with friends and I don't want to drink, I just have a piece of nicotine gum and you get like that same euphoric feeling doesn't trash your HRV and your sleep like alcohol does. And I've actually been testing out the nicotine with the N of one app. I don't, I still need to collect more data, but overall it's showing that nicotine potentially has a positive impact on my sleep. I would think it oh. would if it's supporting your vagus nerve. That makes okay. sense to me. And I feel the same. Yeah. It doesn't affect my sleep. And when I was performing on Broadway, when I had evening shows, like I would start work at 8 p.m., which is just insane. Everyone would come in with their like venti iced coffee. I'm like, there's no way I'm sleeping drinking that coffee. 
I would do nicotine. It would get me just through the two and a half hours of work. And then I could go home and go to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. You brought up a great question. I've never thought of nicotine because I haven't researched it a ton. Um, I just know some cursory stuff about it. But yeah, theoretically, it, it should be able to benefit the um, vagus nerve. One thing I wanted to mention also is that smokers are typically deficient in norepinephrine. Mm. And so if you look at the medications that treat um, nicotine addiction, like um, buprenorphine, it is a selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. So it's that hit of norepinephrine that they're getting. And then norepinephrine, if you have enough copper and vitamin C and not too much C diff in your gut, will get converted into dopamine. And so they're trying to get, you know, some people will get their dopamine hit from looking at their phone every five seconds. Some people will get it from food. Some people will get it from illicit drug use. But I, I mean, it sounds like the dosages that you ladies are using are well within the therapeutic range and are very unlikely to cause any sort of damage. Yeah, most likely. Okay. And I think just to come full circle, if there's like a norepinephrine or dopamine deficiency or you're cycling really quickly, it's probably because you're eating something inflammatory in your diet or you have poor stress resilience, right? Like we're not converting properly. And then we right. take these medications. So mm -hmm. good way to uh, circle back to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, if people are doing vagus nerve stimulation exercises, by the way, the humming, the gargling, those are kind of like add-ons, like icing on the cake, if you already yeah. have a pretty healthy vagus nerve. If mm -hmm. you have significant autonomic dysfunction, those will not get you out of the, the woods. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if you're using a device like, let's say, the Hulist, and it's not working, it could be because you're low in acetylcholine. And unfortunately, you know, even the labs that test a neurotransmitter, the urine neurotransmitter metabolites, I don't, I think there's one, Sabre Sciences, um, but it's kind of expensive that test acetylcholine levels. So I have people just try either Huperzine A, CDP choline or cytocholine, phosphatidylcholine, mm -hmm. which, you know, there are certain polymorphisms. Um, there's one called MTHFD1 that affects our body's ability to produce choline. And that's going to affect the integrity of the cell membranes, which, you know, if this is a cell and this is a cell and they can't talk to each other, even though they might be healthy outside of that, if they can't communicate, you know, it doesn't really matter how healthy internally they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I have that variant. I think I do too. Trying yeah. to remember like, like what led me, like I take alpha GPC. There was a reason for that. I'm like trying to backtrack. Remember if that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple yeah. genetic reports recommend like PC products. And so maybe that, I don't know, something else to look into so much food for thought today. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I know Absolutely. so much. Can we do a quick zoom out? If someone is struggling with energy, hormone dysfunction, if there is a sense that there's chronic inflammation, I know that's such a big topic, but what are some really simple lifestyle strategies that you would start with for anyone out of the gate? It could be a repetition from things we already talked about. Morning sunlight, you know, I sound like a broken record, but there's no supplement or IV or gadget you can get. I mean, even the best gadgets, Molly Eastman and I talked about this, you know, the Chroma D and the Spurdy, they replicate like 10 to 12% of the sun. Um, so eat, 
don't be lulled into thinking that if you go outside and the sun's not bright and shiny, that you're not getting any benefits. You know, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about you have to stay out longer and you won't get quite the benefits, but you're still getting some. And you mm-hmm. need to get your AWS outside anyways. You know, we spend 90 to 95% of our time indoors. Um, get outside anyways. So that's going to bed on time. And, you know, people, uh, when I wear blue blockers, like I get asked to present. My first question is, can I wear my blue blockers? Because if the answer is no, then I can't present. Like <laughs> it affects me that much. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think different people are sensitive on different levels. But I mean, I'm very sensitive to the point that my next day, I'll essentially be non-productive. And so going to bed Same. on time it, and it, you don't have to go from if you're going to bed at 1130, obviously going to 9 p.m. is going to be a little drastic. So work back. 15 minutes every three or four days or even five days Uh, work on that because that controls the transcription essentially of 300 plus genes in our body. So remember everything happens in a cycle, uh, a 24 hour cycle, a yearly cycle and other cycles. And so get outside, get some sun, get your feet on the ground. If you can walk barefoot and that's going to help with inflammation and go to bed on time. Those are free. And then the face dunks, the cold plunges for the face, that can help to aggravate, to activate your vagus nerve. And that's going to decrease your aggravation. <laughs> Love yeah. that. It may be a little aggravating at first, but for good cause. <laughs> Long-term yeah. less and aggravation. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't yeah. have to get in the tub and have people pour ice on you. So it, it's much more... Um, it's a lot easier to get people to be compliant. Essentially. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. I ha- actually, I haven't tried the face thing. That's a little bit easier, it's maybe. Big. It makes my, yeah. my heart rate go up a little bit. It's tough. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I prefer the hand and the foot dunk. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But I do think yeah, the I, face is a little bit better for uh, vagus nerve specifically. Yeah, I interviewed, um, you know, Dr. Um, Tom Seeger from Morozco. And, uh, you know, he talked about how what got him into it, into cold therapy, cold plunging, was his PSA was elevated. And at first he was doing his workout and then cold plunging. And his testosterone went from 300 and something to 600 and something. So a pretty good increase. But then he switched it up and he started cold plunging and then lifting weights. And it went to 1100 and something. And his primary care thought he was on steroids. Whoa. Wow. Okay. That's why the men listening just perked up. Yeah. I well, when I do cold plunge before strength training, and I know this because I use the ARX when I go to my parents' house, which is quantified, I'm way stronger. I'm not measuring my testosterone, but my strength potential goes up. So makes sense. That yeah, that's awesome. I know Renee, I mean, you practically have to pull her out of the cold plunge tub. Like I heard, you know, you're not supposed to spend more than like 12 minutes a week. She just won't get out of there. I know. I'm actually in there. I'm in right now. You can't tell. (laughs) That could be your new Zoom filter. You just (laughs) make it look like water's all around. (laughs) We're doing that. That's the best idea. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Hey, that's what I'm here for, ladies, to give you content ideas. I'm already thinking about Halloween costume ideas for next year. (laughs) Something about a cold plunge. Definitely a cold plunge. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, You know me well. (laughs) Uh, All right, we got one more question for you. 
Yeah, Isn't let's it? wrap it up. Dr. Tim, if you can just leave our audience with one final tip, something they should start doing today. Get outside, even if it's not sunny, and walk barefoot. Temporary discomfort trumps long-term pain. Great. I'm going to do that. It's noon noon out west. I'm going to go for a nice midday walk. See if I awesome. can. Yeah, sorry, Renee. Yeah, sorry. I'm going to have to delay our, our call after this. I got to go for a walk because Dr. Tim said. Yeah. That's right. We can walk it's and talk. Exactly. We can walk, we and, can talk. walk and talk. <laughs> I like awesome. it. I love it. Yeah. Dr. Tim, um, tell our audience where they can find more of you. Yeah. So my website is healyourbody.org, which is .org. Um, and on Instagram, it's at Dr. Tim Jackson. Right. Perfect. We Easy will enough. link to that in the show notes. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your amazing knowledge with us. So, so grateful for you. And Absolutely. thank you for the humor. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I try to mix it up because, you know, I used to be very, well, okay, I'm still type A, but I used to be like, oh, okay, we can't joke. No, we got to talk about the electron transport chain and gene protein coupled receptor. We're going to be super serious. And I realized, <laughs> oh, I can get 10 times more done if I'm relaxed. Totally. And oh, thank yeah. you, ladies, for the work that you're doing. Thanks for having me on. You asked very, very great questions. Thank oh. you. Thank you. Pleasure to chat. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.